Hello and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you want a specific used car or truck in a specific color with exactly the features you want, but it's so rare you can't find it locally? Well, the answer? You gotta cast a wider net. Don't just look within 50 or 100 miles from where you live. If you do that, you might never find what you're looking for. So if you're really serious about buying a specific vehicle and you don't want to wait, you have to look in markets that are much further away. Maybe 500 miles or 1,000 miles, maybe even on the other side of the country. And how do I know? Well, a series of unfortunate events happened to me back in late 2010 when I was searching for a very specific car that I really wanted. After several false starts and one complete fail, I finally got it done. But it wasn't easy, and in the end, I had to get on a plane, fly a couple of hours to get to the car, deal with the paperwork, and then drive it more than 825 miles back home by myself during winter while it was snowing, all within a 24-hour window. Now, should you do that? Well, I don't know. Only you can answer that question. And I'm crazy, so, you know, maybe I don't count. However, I think hearing about my experience might help you decide if it's worth it or not to you. Either way, if you decide to do it yourself, it will likely be an epic journey you won't soon forget. And that alone might be the best reason to travel a long distance to buy your next used car. And it all starts with the question, what car do you want? Now, if you know what kind of vehicle you want and you can find a great example locally, then perfect, you're done. There's no need to search nationwide for your next used car or truck. But if you're not sure what you want, you have to figure that out first. Now, in my case, there were several things that I had to have at the time. I wanted something fun to drive. I wanted it to have good to excellent handling. I wanted a decent amount of horsepower and torque. It needed to be able to carry four adults, so a four-door vehicle was likely in order, certainly four seats. I also wanted all-wheel drive for snow, if possible, but I didn't want an SUV. I wanted to spend somewhere in the low to mid $20,000 max range, and the used car I was looking for was probably going to be three to five years old. And the car that I really wanted was the 2004 through 2008 Audi S4 Avant. Now, Avant means wagon or station wagon in Audi speak, so just call it what it is. It's an S4 wagon, right? And it came with a 4.2 liter V8, had 340 horsepower and 302 pound-feet of torque from the factory, and it came with either an automatic or a manual transmission, and I wanted the manual. That was my target vehicle. Now, in my early search, I found an Ibis White example, a 2005 model. And Ibis White is really rare. These cars are typically like silver or black or gray. So white is rare. So that was cool. I liked the color. It was also in excellent condition. It was great on the test drive. And so I told the guy, hey, I'm going to bring my wife back tonight and test drive it again. So we came back that evening. We go on a test drive. You know, I'm going up and down through the gears. and I'm talking about how great the car is. What do you think, honey? She's kind of quiet. So I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. Good? Bad? Don't know. We get back and she's like, I need to talk to you alone. So we kind of go off to the side. She goes, you can't buy this car. And I'm like, why? She goes, because it's a manual. I said, yeah, so? She goes, I can't drive a manual. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, you're the same person I married who drove our old Porsche 914 with the dogleg first gear. You had an RX-7 with a five-speed manual, and you drove my 1965 Mustang with a top-loader four-speed and a heavy clutch. I said, you're that person, right? You drove all those cars, manual transmission. She's like, well, I just don't want to. I'm like, okay, all right. So I came down to this. I could buy the car with the manual or get a divorce. So no more Audi S4 with a manual. So what else in 2010 had all-wheel drive, good handling, and an automatic transmission? Hmm, good question. I don't know. So I went out and I test drove RX-8s. <laughs> Mazda RX-8 with a rotary engine and a six-speed manual transmission and no all-wheel drive. I think I went and test drove like three or four of them because I was just mad. I'm like, oh, God, I really want a manual. So I did that. And once I got that out of my system, I got serious. And the VW R32, this is the 2008 model that came up. The R32 has a 3.2-liter narrow-angle V6. Makes 250 horsepower and 236 pound-feet of torque, and it comes with a dual-clutch automatic transmission. It's supposedly a really great transmission, but I didn't love the DSG shifting at lower RPM. For some reason, it just hesitated on starts, so I didn't really like that. And also, while it has four seats, it only has two doors. I love the front seats, but the back was hard to get into and it felt small. So it was a car for two people with gear or four people without gear. And that was a little bit too small for me. So that was out. Then I looked at the Audi A3 3.2 Quattro, which is kind of like the R32. It's got the all-wheel drive and the 3.2 liter V6 from the R32. But it has an Audi wrapper. I mean, it looks, it's an Audi. And it has four doors, so it's easier to get into the back. Now, I like the look of the A3 better. It's like a 7 8 size of an S4 Avant, sort of. And I like the DSG better in the Audi. It seemed to shift better. I'm not sure why, maybe different programming or something. But still, it was small inside, like the R32. And it was more expensive than the VW, so, you know, I decided to put that aside. I also kind of looked a little bit at the Lancer Evolution and the Subaru WRX STI. But both of those cars were a little bit too boy racer-ish for me. Now, you could get the Lancer Evolution with a dual-clutch automatic transmission, so that was cool. But you couldn't get the STI with a anything but a manual, so that was out. And I was kind of left with nothing. So, after considering all those other vehicles, I came full circle and decided that an Audi S4 Avant with the automatic, or Tiptronic as Audi calls it, was back under consideration. Now, I went and drove several with the automatic. I actually liked the way they drove. My favorite was a 2008 from a dealer, but it was expensive. I want to say forty to 45000 somewhere in that range. That was just way more than I originally wanted to spend. I was willing to spend more money, maybe up to 10000 more beyond my original 25 cap, so up to thirty-five. But that was it. So forty-five, that was out of the question. At that point, I started to look at some of the older S4 Avants, and I contacted a local Audi service manager at one of the Audi dealers, and he turned me on to a client who was selling his car. He was going to trade it in. It was a 2004 good-looking car, but it was in a really unique color. It's called Goodwood Green. It's very rare. They didn't make a lot of S4 Avants in that color. The only problem was it had 92,000 miles, which eh, it was more than I wanted to have. I was looking for more like the 50,000-mile range, but it was cheap. 
and it was in great shape. It was owned by a Boeing executive who took really good care of it, always did service on time, every time, that sort of thing. So one owner, nice condition, just the kind of car that I want. I called the guy back and said, yeah, put me in touch with the guy. He said, oh, you know what? He traded it in. So we have the car. I'm like, okay, well, can I come see it? It's like, well, it's in detail. So, you know, I'll, I'll get one of our sales guys to call you back. I'm like, oh, great. Now money's being added to the car, right? So <laughs> I'm just kind of frustrated. Anyway, a couple of days go by, I didn't hear from the guy. So I call him back and I said, hey, what about that green station wagon, that green S4 Avant? Oh, yeah, um, a broker bought it. I'm like, what? Okay. I said, do you have the number for the broker? So he rounded that up and I got in touch with the guy who, who bought the car from the dealership. And, you know, of course, again, now they're adding more money to the, to the cost of the car. It was still reasonable. It was less than 15. I think it was around 13.5 or something. So I get a hold of the guy and I go test drive the car. And it really is in nice condition. It's excellent shape. Drives great. Looks great. The green color, it's sort of like British racing green. It's really interesting. Never seen an Audi in that color before or since. Anyway, love the car, but I had to think about it. So in my overnight thinking, the guy sold the car to somebody else. Boom, that's gone. Now I'm back looking again. So a couple of weeks later, I find one down in Portland, Oregon. This is a 2005. It's got about 50,000 miles and it's at an Audi dealer out there. So I go check that out. We take it for a test drive. My wife loves it. I like it. It looked great. It was in excellent condition, but it's just too much money. I didn't want to spend that much. It's more, you know, I said, do you have any room to move? And they're like, no, we're just kind of stuck at this price. So it was a no on that one. I did look at a silver one up in Seattle. It was private party. It was a 2006 and it had some issues. It wasn't perfect. And so I passed on that one. And so all this time, I'm just kind of getting a little frustrated. I, there's nothing around locally that I wanted. So I remembered a friend of mine worked at a dealer group here in the Northwest. I reached out to him and I said, hey, you guys got like 100 dealerships spread out across the West Coast. Do you guys ever get Audi S4 Avants in stock? He said, well, you know, they're kind of rare. Probably not. Maybe once or twice a year. But if I get one, I'll let you know. Okay. Well, a week later, I get a call from the guy. Hey, hey, we got one. I said, okay, cool. He said, the only catch is it's up in Alaska. I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's in Alaska. Fine. Uh, tell me about it. So he tells me some details, but I have to call the local sales manager at the dealership up there to get the full scoop on the car. So I do that. He sends me pictures. We go back and forth a little bit. The car sounds like it's in decent shape. It did need rear brakes, and he said it needed a detail, but otherwise it was good to go. And they were asking 24000 for the car on their website, but my friend hooked me up with the good guy deal, and I got it for $21,500 if I wanted to pay that. The only catch was it's up in Alaska, so I had to have it shipped down on a boat, and it cost $800 to ship it. Even with the $800 tacked onto the $21,500, it was a pretty good deal for the time, so I said, you know what, let's do it. So I did. And I waited about a week, then it arrived at the port of Tacoma, so I had to go down and pick it up. My wife took me down there to drop me off, and you want to do an inspection when you pick up a car that's been shipped by a boat, or shipped by any type of shipper, by the way. And the first thing I found was a broken fog light and the bracket that held it in place. It was all broken. I'm like, oh, come on. And the guy said, hey, well, was it broken before, before the shipping happened? I said, I have no idea. I saw pictures of the car. It didn't look broken to me, so I'm assuming it broke during shipping. 
He's like, okay, we got to file a claim, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it took another hour to do the paperwork for that. And it turned out the the cost for the repair was going to be $2,200. So I filed the claim. But in driving the car, driving it home, it felt a little funky. I don't know how to put my finger on it, but it just didn't feel right. I'd driven probably eight or 10 S4 Avants by this point. And this was probably the worst feeling of all of them. However, the car did come with a three-month, 3,000-mile warranty from the dealer group. So I decided, you know what, I'm taking this to the local Audi dealer, and I'm going to do a pre-purchase inspection. And if they find something wrong, then I'll get it fixed under warranty. Cool. So I call that service manager that I know, take the car in, drop it off. About three hours later, he calls me back. He goes, yeah, you know what, you're not going to be happy. And I have to say, (laughs) when the service manager at the German car dealer calls you and says, you're not going to be happy, he means it. So, (laughs) you know, you don't want to hear that when you've got a German car. So I'm like, oh, God, what's wrong? He goes, it's going to just be easy if you're coming in and look. Just come in and take a look at it. Now, that's getting worse by the second, right? All right, fine. So I go down there. The car's up on the lift, and they take me in, and the mechanic kind of shows me all the problems and says, look at all this stuff. And I can see myself that everything underneath the car that's kind of buttoned up, it's got a cover or a heat shield or you know some sort of protective piece on it, has been broken off, cracked, busted, barely hanging there. There's a couple of dents in the oil pan on the engine. There's some, hard to explain, like little pieces of metal, chunks taken out of the transmission and the differential. (laughs) It's like, this car just got back from the East African rally, or maybe from an entire world rally championship season. Somebody drove the poop out of this car down some gravel or boulder-strewn road and just treated it poorly. And this is stuff you can't see, you know, when you look at the car from the outside. You have to get underneath the car to see it. And these things are, you know, four inches off the ground. So there's no way to get under there short of putting it up on a lift. So I'm glad I took it in. And then, you know, we got to the price. I said, okay, what's what's the cost to to fix all this stuff? And he goes, yeah, it's about $12,000. I'm like, God, it's like more than half the price of what I paid for the car. So if there is like a freak out button like a dial that you could turn up to 10, I would have been at 11 or maybe 12 on the freak out dial. I mean, I was just completely freaked out. I own this car. It's already mine. I've shipped it down the whole thing. So the first thing I did, you know, after crying, I guess the second thing I cried first. Uh, the, (laughs) The second thing I did was I went and I called my friend and I said, Hey dude, I am not happy. This car just seems to be a problem. And I, you know, kind of explained what I just went through and how this is like $12,000 worth of stuff. Of course, now he's freaking out. Um, And it turns out that once this kind of circled around through the dealer group, I think some people got in trouble. I think some heads rolled because somebody somewhere messed up. I should never have gotten this car in that condition, right? So basically, after my discussion with him, I got a call back the next day, and the the dealer group wanted me to send the the S4 to one of their dealers for their version of a pre-purchase inspection. And the dealer that they wanted to send me to locally was a Dodge dealer. And I said, wait a minute, no, 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 this is a German car. You know, really should go to an Audi dealer. Do you have an Audi dealer nearby? They said, no, but there's a BMW dealer. Okay, fine, I'll go there. So take it down to the BMW dealer, and they're going to have it for a couple of days. So they give me a almost new 335D loaner car for the weekend, 
thank you very much. In fact, I did an episode on that particular car and that particular driving experience, I want to say like a month or two ago. Yeah, so check that out if you haven't heard it. That's a great car. Anyway, I had that for the weekend and they had the Audi. I get a call back after the weekend or after they finished their job, checking it out. And they said, yeah, we can confirm that the car is bad and that the repair estimate from Audi is accurate. Okay, now what? Well, the dealer group said they'll make it right. They'll buy the car back but it's going to take a little bit of time. Turns out a little bit of time was like a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, I told the service manager at BMW, I said, hey, I got to have a car to drive. So can I drive this? Oh, and one thing I didn't mention, the brakes that were supposedly bad but fixed up in Alaska were never fixed. So it's got like metal on metal starting to rub on the brake rotor in the back. Both of the back brakes had that happening. So the guy's like, hey, yeah, as long as the car still stops and, and turns and does whatever you need to do, just drive it. We don't care. It's like, okay. So, you know, let the hooning begin. <laughs> I tested the rev limiter. I went out and slid the car around. I played with it as much as I could because I thought, it's not going to be my car anymore. I'm getting out of this thing. Hoo-hoo, see you later. And then, again, two weeks later, I get a phone call. Hey, come in, bring the car in, drop it off. So I got paid back the original purchase price of the car. I got paid back for the shipping from Alaska. I got paid for that pre-purchase inspection that I did and a couple other small things that I had money into on the car. But I didn't get paid for my time. That whole process took almost a month from start to finish. And now it's been like four or five months that I've been looking for an S4 Avant. And at the end of all that, after buying a car and going through the whole process, I got no car. So I'm pissed off and I'm motivated, right? I still want an S4 Avant. Maybe I'm crazy, right? <laughs> I am crazy, I suppose, but I still wanted one. So here's what I did. I decided I'm now willing to search nationwide to find a car. And in the end, I decided that paying more money is going to be okay as long as I get what I want. So like I said earlier, I'm going to spend up to thirty to 35000 it's still a lot, but when you think about it at the time, a brand new Camry would have cost that much or more. So, hey, I can justify that. And buying an S4 still under factory warranty seemed like a good thing. So I started looking at 2007 and 2008 cars, cars that were still under warranty from the factory. So I jump on Auto Trader and I search nationwide. Immediately, I find several interesting cars, but the best car is from Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a black 2008 S4 Avant with Tiptronic. It's got 32,000 miles. It's a one-owner vehicle, but it's a lease. They, they lease the car rather than buying it. So it's a private party. The private party was selling the car before they had to return it for the lease. Nice guy. We came to an agreement. I explained my situation, and my story was so weird and fantastical that I, I couldn't have been making it up. I guess I could have, but he bought it. And I told him, I said, look, I'm coming from Washington. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly to Salt Lake and I'm going to drive the car back. We'll do the paperwork. I'll give you a check or cash or whatever you want. We'll figure it out. But we worked out those details and he said, yeah, let's do it. Now to do this kind of long distance purchase thing right, you've got to get all the paperwork in order and you've got to get the timing right. So you get everything done as soon as possible and everything's ready to go on the day that you go make the purchase. I'm going to fly there. So I have to literally have all the paperwork and everything with me when I get on the plane. Now I had to get a payoff amount and title transfer info from Audi. 
So I got that. And I needed to get a pre-purchase inspection before I was going to buy the car. I told the guy, I said, look, I, I have to have this checked out. So he, he understood. He's like, yeah, that's cool. You're spending a lot of money for this thing. So he took it over to the local Audi dealer in Salt Lake. They checked it out. I paid for the inspection. And they basically came back and said, yeah, everything's fine. So I got the, the check mark on that. Uh, I also had to get an airline flight that aligned with the seller's schedule and my drive date window, which was coming up. It was like February 19th or 20th, 2011. That's a Saturday or Sunday. I said, I can do either day, but he picked the Sunday. So I got my ticket. I needed to get cashier's checks printed for the Audi payoff and also the difference that would go to him. And then I had to get all that paperwork ready. So when I got in the car, I had it and we were on our way to the airport. So I get everything done, and all of a sudden, here we are at the 24-hour pickup day. Now, I went to bed the night before, I think at like 9 o'clock, but I couldn't sleep. And I had to get up at 3 a.m., have my coffee, get a shower, get some breakfast. 4 o'clock, we hit the road for the airport. My wife dropped me off. I was there by 4.30, and I'm at the gate by 5, and I'm departing SeaTac Airport at 6 a.m. I got a two-ish hour flight to Salt Lake City. I get there about 9 a.m. because they're an hour ahead of us on the on the clock. The seller picks me up at the airport, and I just walk right off the plane because I don't have anything with me other than some paperwork and a small backpack. And by 10 a.m., we're at the seller's work office, which is near the airport. Everything was really super convenient. I get a chance to check out the car. He actually picked me up in the car. The car was great. Everything checked out. The only bummer was it was snowing when I got there. I mean, it's Salt Lake City. It's February, right? So I didn't really have a chance to kind of pick it over on the outside because it's covered with snow. But I'd seen many pictures and I was very confident that the car was in good shape and it was. So that wasn't really a problem. Uh, we got all the paperwork done and then we went over to the a local FedEx box and we dropped an envelope with the payoff amount for Audi into the box. So we got that done. And they were going to send a title back to him that he would then sign and then send on to me in a couple of weeks. He handed over the keys and I was on the road. Cool. It's 10.30. Now, this drive that I was about to embark on was about 825 miles end-to-end. -end, and based on some previous scheduling and looking at map programs and that kind of stuff, it should take about 13 and a half hours of driving. Now, that will vary depending on, you know, if there's snow falling or if there's an accident or something. So, you know, I was trying to make up time wherever I could, but I started out really slow. We were going, I don't know, 25 or 30 on the freeway. Interstate 15. I was going to go up through Salt Lake, up through Utah, cut across Idaho, end up cutting the upper kind of northeast corner of Oregon, and then head across the remainder of Washington, kind of cutting up Highway 84 and then onto I-90 back into Seattle. Yeah, it seemed like a good plan, and I actually kind of geeked out. I sort of put together a schedule with various towns and various times that I should be there. And the good news was the guy gave me a full tank of gas. He filled the car before I even got there, so that was great. So I didn't have to spend any time doing that. And my first stop, which was Mountain Home, Idaho, I got there about 3.20 in the afternoon, which was basically right on time for the time that I was estimating, which was kind of cool. It's like, okay, I guess I guess this actually works. So I filled up. I sent the guy a picture, sent him a text, and he wrote me back. He's like, yeah, my wife's missed the car already. She's kind of crying, but I'm going to take her to dinner and a movie, and I think she'll be happier. I'm like, okay, cool, but I'm happy. 
if that matters. <laughs> anyway, the car worked great. So I got to say, driving across the Western U.S., it's just spectacular scenery. Whether it was snowing or not, there were these great expanses where the sky would sort of open up. There'd be a little bit of blue sky, uh, no snow falling, but just snow on the ground. And you could see, you know, mountains and vistas for miles and miles and nothing around. I mean, when you're cutting through northern Utah and southern Idaho, there's just not much out there. But it's beautiful country. So I highly recommend, you know, driving through there if you can. I've done it a couple of times, and that was one of my favorite drives. Now, driving solo isn't as much fun as doing it with somebody else. And if I did it over, that's what I would do. But I was on time, so that was good. I needed to do one more gas stop somewhere before Yakima, Washington. So that was in the cards, but I kept plugging on. It was still light out. Remember, it's February, so it gets dark by 5 o'clock, 5.15, something like that. And by the way, Oregon sucks. I got to say it. I was born in Oregon, but my God, Oregon, hello. You got to change your speed limit, man. It was like 60 miles an hour all through the Oregon sections that I was on. And it's the middle of nowhere. There's nobody around. And it's 60. Everybody else was like 70 or some places even 75. But Oregon was 60. Maybe they've changed it by now because that was 10 years ago. But, man, they were behind the times. It's terrible. So I'm plugging away. I get all the way to Hermiston, Oregon. And I've had a couple of rest stops and gotten some coffee. I have loaded up on that terrible gas station coffee. You know, it's the stuff that sits there in the pot for like two hours and then you get the last dregs and there's no creamer. So you have to use the powdered stuff. Ugh, nasty. So I'm kind of got like a rotten stomach and I'm getting a little tired. I'm kind of done with the drive really by, by Hermiston. If I remember correctly, it was about seven o'clock, seven thirty, something like that. And I'm tired. I've been up for a long time and I've been driving a lot by then. So I decided to get out my laptop. I called my wife, you know, talked to the kids and just sort of hung out for a little bit at the Starbucks, had some of their decent coffee, got some food, had more decent coffee, got more food, used the restroom. Then I had to get back on the road because I knew the next part was going to be bad. It's going to be dark, going to be nothing around, going to be pitch black. And that was exactly what it was. So I need to get gas probably about, I want to say Prosser, Washington. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, sort of wine country now, but at the time there was not much around. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to use the trip computer in the car. We never took the time to do a tutorial on that. And I'm kind of punching around trying to figure that out. And I can't figure out how much fuel is left in the car. It kind of guesstimates how much fuel is left in the car and how, how much further you can drive. It actually gives you sort of a countdown. And I have no clue, but I'm thinking based upon what the car gets for fuel economy and how far I've driven, I'm about to run out of gas. And it's 8.50 at night. And, you know, at the top of every hour, there's more gas stations closing. It's Sunday night. Places are closing. So I'm driving along the freeway going about 70 and I fly by this off-ramp. And I remember thinking, oh, there's a gas station up there. It's still open. But I passed it. And then I thought, well, maybe I should stop and just back up a half mile on the freeway. Nobody's around. Who cares, right? And then I thought, no, I'll just get off of the next exit. But I'm thinking, I got to have maybe five miles, maybe 10 miles left for distance. And the place I was originally going to stop is another 25 miles away. And I thought, without the trip computer, I have no idea if I can make it. 
So now I'm kind of freaking out. <laughs> I finally get to the next exit, which was like five miles further. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be coming in on fumes. I turn around, I go back, and I'm thinking, now it's got like five minutes before the, f- the place closes. What, what if they close before I get there? What if they close early? So should I speed up, maybe run out of gas on the on-ramp or the off-ramp? And I just kind of kept steady speed and just said, okay, I hope I make it, hope I make it. I get up there, and the guy's literally like locking the pumps up. He's putting padlocks on. I said, hey, are you still open? And he looks at his watch. He's like, hey, you got a couple minutes. I'm like, okay. And I said, I got to fill up with premium. And he's like, okay, cool. That's the spendy stuff. So, yeah, I'll let you. So he unlocks that. I fill the car up, get some of his oh-so-terrible coffee. It was terrible, absolutely. You know, it's the last coffee of the day, right? The guy didn't make it since probably 3 o'clock. Anyway, I finally got my gas, and I'm good to go. But I still have three and a half hours to go, and I'm exhausted. I'm just, like, beat. And I'm trying to stay awake, and I'm driving across eastern central Washington, and there's nothing out there. And I don't have radio stations. There's only, like, one that comes in, and it's like a kind of Hispanic station. And I think they're playing some Tejano music. So that was cool. I just put that on in the background. And all of a sudden, a Tejano-style, in-Spanish knockoff of Cheap Tricks, I Want You to Want Me, comes on the radio. And I'm listening to it, I'm like, this is a knockoff of Cheap Trick. Oh, my God. It's got an accordion playing and people singing. And it's just hilarious. So I've got tears in my eyes. I'm laughing so hard. So it kind of wakes me up for a little bit. And I get through Yakima. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm kind of over by the... Uh, There's like a bombing range in the middle of Washington. It's between Yakima, Washington and Ellensburg, Washington. And there's nowhere to stop for bathroom break, but I got to take one. So I pull off on this off-ramp. It says Military Road. I turn off my lights and it's pitch black. There's no moon, no nothing. So I get out, do my business. And I'm standing there and it's completely quiet. It's probably 20 degrees. It's really cold. And I look up in the sky, and it's clear. And there it is. The Milky Way stretched from horizon to horizon. Just this amazing passel of stars over my head. And I just, I just stood there and stared at it. And then I thought, maybe I should just get back in the car, open the sunroof, and just lay here and stare at it for a while. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to fall asleep and... Some local's going to come by and shoot me and take the car, and <laughs> I'm really going to have a problem. I'll be a dead guy. Um, so, you know, after a few minutes of that, ooing and awing the the stars across the sky, the Milky Way, I got back in and thought, you know, I got to get going. So I made one more coffee stop in Ellensburg, and then it was this, this long trudge into Seattle, up over the pass, snowing like crazy, of course, and I'm kind of slipping around on my little tires, which really aren't that good. In fact, in the pre-purchase inspection report, the guy said, look, the tires are kind of done. I said, well, I've got to drive 800 miles. You know, will it go that far? He goes, oh, yeah, you should be fine. But you want to replace them within the next three to 5,000 miles. Well, he wasn't kidding because when I got back to Seattle and actually took the tires off, the tire on the inside on both sides were separating. You could see the belt coming through. They were, the metal was kind of frayed. And I thought, these almost blew out. I could have died out in the middle of nowhere, or at least been stuck out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they were coming apart. There was about an 8 to 10 inch separation. Now, there was probably no way for the guy to know that when he inspected them, 
But he did note on the inspection report that, yeah, the tires are pretty much done. You need to replace them. So in retrospect, I would have got new tires and just had them sent to the Audi dealer and had them install them if I was doing it over. So that would have been the smart move. But, you know, I'm not a smart guy, so I didn't do that. Anyway, I get all the way back, finally get home. I'm about an hour and a half beyond my estimated time. So now it's like 1.30 and I've been up since three o'clock. And I don't know if you've ever gotten off of like a ship. If you've been on a boat on the ocean for, you know, several hours and then you get off and you walk on land, that's exactly what it felt like. I mean, I was just sort of woozy, (laughs) kind of like... Am I, is the room moving? What's going on? My wife woke up. She came down. She's like, are you okay? I said, I don't think so. I, you know, I've had like 12 cups of terrible coffee. I've had a bunch of just crap food on the road all day. I'm really, really tired, but I'm absolutely wide awake. I I can't sleep right now. So I think I stayed up for another hour, you know, surfing the internet or something stupid. And then finally went to bed right at three o'clock. And I didn't get up till, I don't know, noon the next day. And of course, the first thing I did was go out and wash the car. But the car was great. And if I was going to do it over, I would do just about everything the same way in terms of finding the car. Ever since the car that didn't work out, from that point forward, I would do everything pretty much the same. The only thing I would do differently is, A, I would bring a friend. You know, bring my wife, bring a buddy to drive with somebody so we could split driving duty. Okay. The second thing is I would turn it into a, you know, two or three day adventure. I would have probably cut up by, you know, Jackson Hole and got up through other parts of Idaho. Um, I would have turned it into a vacation. I also would have preferred to do this in the summer, not the winter, because the days would have been longer, more daylight, right? But in terms of the car, The car's been great. And 11 years later, I still have the car. Still works great. Love the car. It's been fantastic. I have no complaints, and that's been a fun journey. So if you have ever considered going a long distance to buy a car, I encourage you to do it and to do it in a way that's as fun as possible. Turn it into an adventure because there are many great places to visit across the U.S., and you just might be able to see some of them on the drive home. So with that, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and follow this podcast. It helps. I don't get paid to do this, so the more people that listen, you know, it just makes it worth my time for doing it. And hopefully you got something out of it as well. And be sure to join me next time for another episode where we talk about a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. And until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw. This is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.